Many long years before Jesus came the first time, the ancient prophets over and over again from generation to generation proclaimed that a Messiah would come and that He would be the one to deliver us from our sins. And naturally, as the centuries rolled by and doubts began to increase and a lot of people wondered if it would ever really happen at all. But Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. You see, God's not working on the same schedule that we're working on. And in the fullness of time, He came the first time. And the Bible very clearly teaches that He is going to come again. In our study from Revelation, we saw in chapter number 1, verse number 19, that this book, the book of Revelation, is divided up into sections, and one section he refers to as the things which shall be hereafter. That's Revelation 1, verse number 19. And then when we... When we finally come to chapter number 4, coming to that section there, you'll notice in the very first verse there is a phrase here. It says, come up hither. And that is evidently typical of what we refer to as the rapture. And before we get involved in a study of chapter 4, it's important that we have some understanding of what the rapture is all about. Please understand, the word rapture itself is not found in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good word. Because the meaning of it most clearly is described in the Bible. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 17, we find this phrase, caught up. Turn there with me as we read together. We're going to start in verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. And for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. There's that phrase meaning rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Caught up, raptured, taken out. The Apostle Paul refers to this also as our blessed hope in his letter to Titus. He says that the blessed hope for the believer is the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You remember in John chapter number 14 there in the upper room as our Lord was preparing the disciples for what lay ahead just before He was crucified, He made this statement. He says, I will come again. 
I will come again. That's what we're talking about this morning. That he will come again on the Mount of Ascension in Acts chapter number 1. You will remember that as he ascends up, try to picture that in your mind if you would. The disciples there are standing talking with him one moment. He has been resurrected from the grave and all of a sudden as his feet leave the ground and he begins to ascend going back into heaven, back to the Father, and two men stood by in white apparel, saying, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, that not another one, this same Jesus whom ye see go into heaven, shall so come in like manner. The Bible is very clear that the Lord is coming again. Now, the coming of the Lord is actually in two different stages, and this is one reason why so many people get confused about it, because just as whenever He came the first time, those those Jews in that day, they thought, well, if He's really Messiah, He's going to immediately set up His kingdom, and they failed to see that He was born to die. They didn't have any understanding of the cross at that time. Not even Peter fully understood what was going on. And he rebuked the Lord whenever the Lord mentioned going to Jerusalem and being crucified. They thought if this is the Messiah, he's going to set up his kingdom. That's why the preaching of the cross is, is a stumbling block to the Jews. They couldn't understand it. Even so, a lot of people, when we talk about the Lord coming back, why, they're confused. But it'll help you to understand that His return comes in two different parts. First of all, there is the return. That's what we call the rapture. Whenever He comes in the clouds, and it doesn't say anything about Him coming to the earth, touching the earth, He comes in the clouds and we are caught up. We are raptured to be with Him. That begins a seven-year tribulation period at the end of which He comes back this time, not for His saints, but with His saints. And He comes back to this earth. That's the revelation. So we have the rapture where we're caught up and the revelation where He and we come down as it were. But this morning we are specifically zeroing in on that aspect of His coming that we call the rapture. I want to ask and hopefully answer three questions about the rapture. First of all, what is the rapture. What is the rapture? Well, very clearly it is a resurrection. Look in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So when the Lord comes in the clouds of the air, the dead in Christ, those that, 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 that were saved, those that have already died, it says they're going to rise first. There's going to be a resurrection. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change the fact there's going to be a resurrection. I, I know somebody says, oh yeah, but what about those people that got thrown overboard out in the middle of the ocean and the fish ate them up and all of that, you know? And uh, well, what about those, you know, whose bodies were cremated or consumed in, in some other way and not even recognizable? I mean, uh, what, what do you do about that? 
Well, I don't do anything about that. I mean, the same God that could take a handful of nothing and make something out of it, and then take a, you know, a handful of clay and breathe life into it, that's no problem at all for God to gather up the molecules or however God does it and to resurrect the body. But mark it down, there will be a resurrection. That's why people ask me all of the time about the matter of cremation. And should I, should I be cremated? Should my loved ones be cremated? Well, you can do what you want to do and I'm not going to be angry with you. But all through the Old Testament, and we think about the, the Jews as God's people, and, and they always buried their dead because they believed in a resurrection. The heathen cremated their dead because they didn't. Now, there might be a lot of other reasons that would enter into that, but the main thing is, whether you're cremated or whether you're not cremated, really has nothing to do with whether you're going to be resurrected. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead, but also there's going to be a reunion. Look in verse number 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. There's going to be a reunion. That's why I keep saying God's people never meet for the last time. There's always going to be another meeting time for God's people because we're going to be reunited with those loved ones that have gone before. A resurrection, there's going to be a reunion, but also there will be a reception there in John chapter number 14. Remember in verse number 1, Jesus explained to them that he was coming again. But then he said, I will come again in verse 3 and receive you unto myself. Uh, look, this, this is what Paul is saying there in First Thessalonians, that we're going to be caught up what? Together to what? To meet the Lord. There's going to be a reception. He is coming to receive us unto himself. Thank God for that. You know, down here we might be despised and we might be rejected, but in that day there's going to be a demonstration of God's willingness to receive us as He receives our glorified bodies into His presence. There's another fact about this that makes it so wonderful, and that is not only does it imply that there is a resurrection, a reunion, and a reception, but this is a reality. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse, or chapter 10 verse 37 says, and he that shall come will come. Amen. He that shall come will come. I mean, you can just mark it down. You can take it to the bank. This is a reality. It's an absolute certainty. But not only that, the rapture also implies a redemption. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8. Now I want you to notice what Paul says beginning in verse number 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not, not only they, that is all the creation, but ourselves, we Christians also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. 
The word redemption means a loosening. And basically it means a loosening as a result of a payment being made. We talk about a slave being redeemed, for example. They would go to the slave market and a price would be paid and that slave would be relief, released from all of his former obligations and be released as a result of being purchased out of the slave market. And what, what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter number 8 is that for the believer, you see, our redemption is not complete just because we've been saved. Our sins have been forgiven. We have the assurance of a home in heaven, but that, that is not the fullness of the redemption that Christ came to provide. There is more to it than that. And he says the redemption of what? Even our body. In other words, there is going to be, there's going to be a glorified body for each and every child of God. Think about that for a little while. To have a body like Christ, and you'll remember that after His resurrection, He could pass through a wall or pass through a door. You could see His body, you could feel His body, He could even eat, but, but still His body, body was not subject to material things and limitations. And we're going to have a glorified body like unto the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rapture means there will be a resurrection, a reunion, there will be a redemption. It's all a reality, but it means something else also. It is a rejection. Turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter number 24, and as we think about the coming of the Lord and what it means for those that are unsaved, notice beginning in verse number 36. Jesus said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. And therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. You see, just as it is a time of reception for the child of God, it's a time of rejection for those that have not received Christ as their Lord and Savior. What a horrible, terrible thought this is. For the believer, this is the blessed hope. For the unbeliever, it is their worst nightmare. Because the same man, the same person that would be your Savior, now becomes your judge. And don't ever forget this, that God is either your best friend or your worst enemy. Don't be deceived by the fact that 
since God so loved the world, and since God loves everybody, that that everything that must mean that everything's going to be all right. That there's not going to be any judgment, not going to be any hell, not going to be any suffering. The holiness of God demands that sin be paid for. And you must either trust the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you, or you must suffer that punishment for yourself. And so it says whenever the Lord returns, and and this is the Lord Himself warning us, there will be two in the field, one's going to be taken. Just as you saw in the video clip, just all of a sudden, Paul describes that as in the twinkling of an eye. The trump shall sound, and all of a sudden the saints shall disappear. There will be one taken and the other left. A time of rejection. Now, question number two. When is the rapture? When will the rapture take place? When will the Lord come? Well, He told us that we don't know the the day nor the hour. We don't know exactly when He's coming. But what we do know is that it is sure, it's imminent, in other words. And that word imminent means it's likely to happen at any time. It could happen immediately. That's what the Bible teaches about the coming of the Lord, that we're to be ready. It's a sure thing, it's a done deal, and it could happen at any moment. It's not only sure, but it is surprising. It's when we least expect it, when we think not. It's surprising. That amazes me because especially those of us here in America that, you know, that that know the Lord is our Savior and we have a we have a Bible to read and we have all of this information and we've heard sermons about the coming of the Lord and we would say that we believe in the coming of the Lord and what have you and still we're going to be surprised when it happens. And I just wonder today how many people actually really truly believe that that this could be the day. I can remember back whenever I first started preaching and, and, and it seemed like every revival meeting there would be at least one night devoted to the subject of prophecy. There were certain preachers that had radio broadcasts, nationwide radio broadcasts devoted entirely to the subject of prophecy. I mean, it was common to hear preachers talk about the coming of the Lord and like the song we sang earlier this morning, Back then, there were a lot of songs being written about the coming of the Lord. And today, there is a strange silence in our churches. I mean, you hardly ever hear anything about the coming of the Lord even mentioned in churches. And I'm saying to you, the rapture is going to be a surprise. Most people are not going to be ready for it. And it's going to be sudden like a thief in the night. A thief in the night. We're not going to be ready. We're going to be surprised. It could be soon. Now, we don't know that, that it would happen today. The, the song says Jesus is coming soon. Well, you know, that's the way we feel, that's the way we think, that's the way it could be, but 
But we don't know if it will be today or tomorrow or next month or a year from now. We don't know. But what we do know is this. I want you to think with me. We do know that it's going to happen before the tribulation, and I'm going to give you six reasons why we know that in just a minute. It happens before the tribulation. And although we do not know the exact time of the coming of the Lord, what we do know is that during the tribulation there are certain events that are very clearly staked out, as it were, in the Bible. I can remember preaching a sermon referring to these as mountain peaks of prophecy. And by that, I mean that that whenever you think about that seven-year period of tribulation, we know that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the Jews. It's going to appear that this superman, as it were, this great world leader, has finally come up with a solution, a peace program for the Middle East. And you'll watch them on TV, you know, as they're signing this peace accord and the documents, and finally they've come up with this great plan, and, and they'll enter into this, this covenant with the Jews. But in the middle of the seven-year period, after three and a half years, he's going to break that covenant with the Jews, and then all hell breaks loose on the earth. And this is the time that is described in the Bible as being the great tribulation. The whole seven-year period is a tribulation period, but in the great tribulation, which is far worse than anything our mind can even begin to imagine. And so all during this time, we can see these events, and we can very clearly, in other words, if that agreement was signed today, if the rapture took place today, we could trace right down to the about to the day, if you use the information that Daniel gave, right down to the time of the return of the Lord at the end of the tribulation. Are you following me? Now, where are we at? Well, let's use this pulpit to represent the coming of the Lord. The tribulation then begins over here. Everything on this side, seven years tribulation. But we are somewhere over here. Now, we don't know whether we're back here, a year away, let's say, or maybe we're up here. Maybe it's six months. We just don't know. But I can tell you this, that in the last several years, especially during my generation, all of a sudden, for the first time, we were able to see the, the shadows from these mountain peaks of prophecy given, related to the tribulation. We can see them casting their shadow across our path over here. So we know whenever we notice that we are in the shadows of those prophecies, we know the time is drawing nigh. It's getting close to that time when the Lord will come. And mark it down, as I said, it is sure, it is sudden, it will be surprising, it could be soon, but it will be before the tribulation period begins. Now, six reasons. Number one, 
I say that because of the purpose of the tribulation. The tribulation is described as the time of Jacob's trouble. This is a time of great judgment upon the earth. And the Bible tells us that God has not appointed His people to wrath. In other words, the purpose of the tribulation is contrary to the plan that God has for His people. So then that means the Lord's going to take us out, as it were, before the judgment begins. So you have, first of all, you have the purpose of the tribulation, but then you have the pictures of the types. You'll notice that even the Lord referred to the days of Noah. And, and He spoke about the days of Lot. And we go back and look at the types back in the Old Testament, and we see that Enoch was taken out before the flood. Lot was delivered before the judgment fell. You remember, the angel come down and moved Lot out of the city, and then the judgment fell. Well, God's going to take us out. But thirdly, we have the promises of the Lord again and again and again and again, where the Lord, and we can spend the next 30 minutes talking about all of these promises that God has given us, assuring us that He has gone to prepare a place for us and going to come and receive us unto Himself, that where He is there we may be also. Well, He is in the Father's house. Amen? That's where He is, and He's coming to receive us. And we're going to be with Him. We have His promises. And then we have the prophecies of Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. All of these verses are relating to the coming of the Lord when he says, notice, the saved will be caught up. You see, if we had to endure the tribulation before Christ comes, where would the comfort be in that statement? Notice in verse 18, he said, comfort one another with these words. There would not be anything comforting about that if... if if he knew that when the Lord came, all of a sudden now we've got to go through seven years of hell on earth, what kind of comfort is that? But he is assuring the saints of God that in a moment when they least expect it, all of a sudden the Lord's going to come, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. That's the thing that should comfort us. We're going to be reunited with each other. We're going to be received by the Lord and we see, number five, all of these points of emphasis throughout all of the New Testament because he never tells us to look for the tribulation period. You see, if, if the Lord wasn't coming back to the end of the tribulation, we would be looking for the tribulation. He never tells us to look for the tribulation. He tells us to look for the Lord to return. And then there is the prayer of Judas when we get to the end of Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. Listen to what he says. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, whenever he makes that prayer, please understand, that's not only the expression of his heart's desire, that is also by the design of the Holy Spirit, because it's the Spirit of God speaking through John as he writes this down and as he's expressing his heart, and he's praying, even so, come Lord Jesus. In other words, he knew that the possibility existed that Jesus could come at any moment. Otherwise, he would have said, hurry up and get us through the tribulation so you can come back. But he didn't say that. He just said, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now that, 
that takes us down to one more question, and that is, who will be taken in the rapture? Who's going to be taken? Well, let me say two things. First of all, only the saved. We've already talked about that, and the Lord Himself made it clear. Only the saved, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up. It's only the saved. You see, life's going to continue right on for the others. Now, I know this is hard for us to get our mind about this because we're thinking about maybe an airplane and here you've got a, you've got an airplane pilot that is saved. Maybe, well, maybe, you know, both of them are saved and all of a sudden the pilots disappear and you've got a plane full of people up there of unsaved people. All of the saved people are suddenly gone. Pretty easy to figure out what's going to happen. Amen. Only the saved are going to be are going to be taken. Not only that, but all of the saved. I've heard I've heard some sermons and some preachers try to try to convince people that that only those that are faithful to the Lord are going to be taken. There will be saved people that will be left behind. I have no idea where they get nonsense like that. It's amazing how stupid preachers can be sometimes. I'm telling you, all of the saints, all of the saints are going to be taken. He says, the dead in Christ, and he says, and they which are alive. So dead or alive, all of those that have been saved, all of those are going to be taken. It's a horrible thought to think about those that are left behind. It's terrible because Jesus described the tribulation like this. He said, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world of this time, no, nor ever shall be. In other words, this is going to be the worst time on earth in all of history. And remember, it's going to be on a worldwide basis. It's not going to be a localized flood. It's not going to be a... It's not going to be some terrible calamity just, you know, just related to a certain geographical location. It's going to be all over the world. It'll be so bad that they'll have to ration food. It'll be so bad that in order to buy or sell, you'll have to receive the mark of the beast. It'll be so bad that people will be starving. And without natural affection, the Bible tells us they will resort to cannibalism, mothers eating the flesh of their own children. How horrible to think of those left behind. Jesus is coming. It could be today. Let me tell you what we need to do. First of all, you need to be sure about your salvation. In light of the fact that He's coming back, this is no time to play around and pretend that you're a Christian when you're not. This is no time to depend upon your baptismal certificate or your church membership. You better be certain that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be sure of your salvation. The Bible says we're to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith or not. 
There are a lot of folks that need to do that because as you look at their life, you see there's no evidence that they've really been saved and yet they go around with this false hope trying to assure themselves that, you know, that they're alright and there's no evidence that they are alright. You better be sure about your salvation. Secondly, you better be serious about your witnessing. Every Christian person here has a relative, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, somebody that you care about that's lost. And if Jesus comes today, it means doom for them in the future. And if you've got this idea in your mind, well, it'll be okay because they'll notice that I'm gone. They'll see that you were right, preacher, and they'll repent of their sins. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says they will believe the lie of the Antichrist. It says, in fact, God shall send them a strong delusion and they will believe a lie. In other words, those that have heard the gospel and rejected the gospel, they had an opportunity and they rejected their opportunity. Those people, when the Lord comes, listen, it's going to be too late. Like the foolish virgins, it'll be too late. And we're talking about your loved ones. It's time that we be serious about our witnessing to others and sure about our own salvation and then we need to be steadfast in our service. If we're ever going to get serious about serving God, it ought to be now. There shouldn't be anything that is so discouraging that it would stop you from serving God. People all of the time dropping out of the church because somebody mistreated them. They didn't shake their hand. They, you know, they wasn't friendly to them or whatever. That, that's, listen, that's nonsense. We ought to be more steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is no time to quit. We look around and see how bad the world is and we think about war in Syria and we think about war here. We think about all of the injustice and all of the horrible problems and crime and all of that stuff that we face. Look, this is no time to get discouraged. This is the time to fight on, the time to work harder. Don't give up. Keep going. Because Christ is coming and He said, My reward is with me. It's time that we also get sincere in our loving one another. Separated in our living. I don't know about you, but when the Lord comes, I, I can't think of a better place to be than right here. Be a great time for the Lord to come, just right now. But whether I am standing here behind this pulpit or whether I'm at home and, or wherever I am, I want to make certain that I'm in the, in the middle of His will. I, it's not a matter of whether I'm going to get left behind or not. If I'm saved, I'm not going to let, get left behind. But I sure don't want to be embarrassed by the coming of the Lord and the Lord come back and catch me, as it were, in the middle of a pity party or catch me in the middle of some uh, sin or, or whatever it is. Whenever He comes back, I want Him to be able to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Would you be ready if He came today? Are you sure about your profession of faith? Are you serious about your witnessing? Are you sincere in your loving? Are you steadfast in your service? The Lord is coming, and it could be at any time. And we need to be ready. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You for the blessed hope that we have that one day our dear Savior will come in the clouds of the air and we'll be caught up to meet Him. And so shall we ever be with our dear Savior. But Lord, until that day and that time comes, I realize that we've got a work to do, and I pray You'll help us to not get distracted by the hardness of the way, by the difficulties of life, or whatever it is. May we put our hands to the plow and not look back, but do with all of our might those things our hands find to do. Help us to be found faithful, serving You when You return. And then, Lord, today for that person that's not sure about their salvation, that person that maybe even they're fully convinced and they know deep in their heart they've never really truly been saved and they would be one of those left behind. Oh, dear God, don't let them leave this building today without, first of all, trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior and knowing that they would be ready even if you came today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Now,